Welcome to Experience This, the podcast that celebrates remarkable customer experiences and inspires you to stand out from the competition by wowing your customers. Each episode, we bring you a healthy dose of inspiring stories, funny interactions, and practical takeaways. Marketing and customer experience thought leader, Dan Gingis. Shares the mic with customer retention and employee experience expert, Joey Coleman, helping you to get people talking about your business. So get ready, because it's time to experience this. Get ready for another episode of the Experience This Show. Join us as we discuss the importance of acknowledging customer loyalty, an extreme example of living the brand experience, and evolving the ways you interact with customers for the greater good of the planet. Staying, smoking, and shipping. Oh my! We love telling stories and sharing key insights you can implement or avoid based on our experiences. Can you believe that this just happened? We've spoken a lot about hotels on this show over the last eight seasons. Things like finding an Alexa in a hotel room in episode 90. Uh, Turn off, Alexa. And episode 70, where we examined amazing hotel lobby art installations at the One Hotel in Miami and Caesars Palace in Las Vegas. We talked about nightlights that make navigating a new hotel room easier in episode 34. And the importance of training front desk staff to de-escalate experiences with customers just a few weeks ago in episode 142. And don't forget how Hyatt Hotels made their headquarters look like an actual hotel way back in season one, episode 12. But today, I want to discuss a part of the hotel experience that we may have mentioned tangentially in our past conversations, but I don't think we've really explored in depth. Hotel loyalty points. Ah, the old hotel loyalty points. I'm excited about this conversation. And and Joy, I want to tell you something quickly about me that you probably don't know. I have always been an airline loyalty point guy or loyalty mile guy. But for many, many, many years, I was did not participate in any hotel loyalty program. And really only in the last three or four years did I finally get on board. Wow, that is something I did not know and frankly find a little bit surprising because I feel like you're constantly like me testing the loyalty programs and signing up for stuff just to see what happens. So I'm a little surprised, but you know, here's the thing. It may be the case that you had this experience in the last few years while you've been loyalty doing loyalty point chasing and maybe some of our listeners have had an experience similar to this as well. Here's the scenario. I was traveling to California for an event and the client booked me into a hotel near their office. Now, normally I book my own hotels and I try to get Marriott points by staying at one of the properties in the Marriott family of hotels. But this time, since the client did the booking, I wasn't at a Marriott, but I was at another well-known hotel brand who I'll avoid naming here as is our policy at the Experience This Show when the experience we're about to discuss was less than positive. But we will say it was not staying in Hilton Head, South Carolina. <laughs> no, no, no giving any hints, no sharing any things. I love it. All right. Well, because I hadn't booked the room, 
they didn't have my loyalty number on the reservation. Now, I realized this and it dawned on me that I hadn't shared my loyalty number at check-in or at check-out while I was driving to the airport to fly home after the speaking engagement. Now, I must confess, I thought to myself, well, this is no problem. I'll just call the hotel from the airport and get the number added to my account after the fact. Seems like a perfectly reasonable resolution. Or so one would think. So I got to the airport. I got through security. I'm waiting at the gate. I'm ready to go. And I called the hotel. The hotel that, mind you, I had checked out of a few hours earlier. Now, I had the invoice from the hotel so I could refer not only to the original reservation number and the confirmation number, but to the local hotel's internal tracking number for the room that I had just left. I explained the situation in detail how the client had made the booking, and I forgot to add my numbers. I then asked if they could add my loyalty number retroactively so I could get the points for my four-day, three-night stay. Dang, that's a good amount of points, I imagine, that you would have accrued. Something tells me uh, about your tone in this story that maybe you didn't get them? Uh, No, they did not give me the points. They explained that since I'd already checked out, I would need to call the loyalty program at headquarters. And they didn't know the number. They wished me the best and hung up the phone. Like, uh, just, uh, you need to call headquarters. We don't know that number. Thanks anyway. Bye-bye. And hung up the phone. Uh, well, first of all, I mean, okay. So I've, we've already identified here stupid policy. <laughs> we, don't, we don't need a policy that, that makes people call headquarters. Wishing you the best and hanging up the phone. I don't, I don't think that probably left a real good taste in your mouth either. Oh, well, here's the great thing. There's so many things we could talk about in this story, but I haven't even gotten to the punchline, okay? (laughs) So here's the thing. As you and I often say to each other when we're not recording, the show writes itself. So while I was definitely frustrated, I was now alert to the fact that this could become a future segment on the Experience This Show and did it ever. I did some Googling. I tracked down the main number for the hotel brand's headquarters on the East Coast, and I called them. Now, I'm still at the airport waiting for my flight, but I had a little more time, so I gave them a call. Okay, and so you called headquarters. What'd they say? Well, did I mention that I was in California and headquarters was on the East Coast? Well, wouldn't you know it, their offices were closed for the night. Oh, well, see, there's a simple explanation for that, Joy. They don't have any customers who live on the West Coast. Correct, or anywhere else in this global brand (laughs) that they serve, okay? And I'm like, Uh wait a minute, closed? How does that even work? I'm not saying somebody needs to be at headquarters, but a rollover, you know, there's other forms of technology they could have used. Well, they definitely must have let you leave a voicemail at least. Oh, you would think, but no, they didn't have a voicemail option. The recording that answered when I called detailed their operating hours and suggested I call back when they were open, which I did the next day. I spoke to a representative who was able to call up the reservation They could see that I had stayed at the hotel. They could see how much I had paid. They could see the four days, three nights. And they said they would do their best to add my account number retroactively. They then put me on hold. About 10 minutes later, they came back and said they couldn't do it because the name on the room reservation, Joey Coleman, didn't exactly match the name on my loyalty account, Joseph Coleman. Uh, Joey, you're giving me a headache here. Come on, stop this. I'm I'm telling you, this is the epitome of horrible policy management, 
of rules that don't make any sense, of frankly, rules that seem to be put in place specifically to go against the customer. And I always wonder about this stuff because, you know, very simply put, without customers, we don't have a company. And so while I think employees are very close behind, I would argue that customers are your company's number one asset. Without them, there is no company. And so why would you have a policy in place like this that is going to get into an argument with a customer about whether his first name is Joey or Joseph? You know, it's crazy. And let's be candid. As somebody who is in their late 40s who goes by Joey, I have had this conversation before about going by my nickname because on my driver's license, it doesn't say Joey Coleman. That is not my legal name. But interestingly enough, I have previously had this conversation with this specific hotel chain because they require the name on the loyalty program to match the name on your government-issued ID. But ironically enough, the reservation name doesn't have to match the name on your ID. It's okay to have a reservation under the name of Joey as opposed to Joseph, which is why I never have said anything to any of my clients because they've told me in the past that it wouldn't cause any issues on earning points. This is a new issue. Now, let's be clear. I realize that going by a nickname is my problem, given the name that I've chosen. But what I don't understand is what happened next. The representative told me I had two options. Option number one, I could submit a request to the loyalty program department for the 4,900 loyalty points I was owed, and they would review review my case in the next 10 to 14 days, after which <laughs> I could call them to see the disposition of the review. They wouldn't call me. They wouldn't email me. I had to call back. Well, that's door number one, and that sounds great. What's, I can't wait to hear what's door number two. Door number two, right now, the agent could give me a one-time courtesy credit of 3,000 loyalty points to my account. Now, I asked if I could speak to someone in the loyalty program directly, and they said they couldn't transfer me to that department or give me a direct number to call because, to their knowledge, that department doesn't have phones that allow them to talk to customers. They can only talk to the account <laughs> reps internally. Oh, uh, man, I kind of hope you took the 3,000 points and ran, but I know you too well. <laughs> so I, I, listen, that didn't happen. <laughs> you know I didn't. I said, oh, oh, no, good sir. I will get my 1,900 extra loyalty points. So I decided to submit the request. At the time we're recording this, it's now been about 15 days. And to be candid, I haven't heard from them, nor have I made the time to call them back and figure out where things stand. But to be honest, that's not the point I wanted to make in telling this story. The point I wanted to make is that after 18 months of hotels struggling to keep their doors open, struggling with a lack of guests, I am both shocked and appalled and frustrated that when someone comes and stays for three nights, that it's such a hassle to get loyalty points. Yeah, I got a quick question for you, Joey. And maybe I, I, I'm assuming you know the answer to this. Has this specific issue of the Joey versus Joseph thing, has it ever come up with Marriott? And if so, how did Marriott handle it? Never. The only time the Joey versus Joseph has really come up with a major problem is when my good friends at Delta partnered with the TSA to allow you to get TSA pre to show up when you check in in advance. When they did that, I had to switch 
the full name on my loyalty account at Delta to match my full legal name on my driver's license because that's what TSA was counterchecking it against. But I've never had this problem with a hotel. And most people, and I say this not in a judgment, but man, it kind of feels like a judgment. So maybe it is a little bit. Most people, when I say Joey, but it says Joseph, they understand that Joey is the diminutive of Joseph. This person didn't. Like it's it, it's not that your name is, you know, Joseph it's, and you go by Steve. Exactly. It's not like it's a completely different name. You know what I mean? It's it's just the short version. It's the nickname. So I I have no idea why this happened. I can't be the first person who's ever checked in under a nickname. I have to wonder what like rock stars and celebrities do when they check in or under assumed names, you well, know, so that no people can loyalty points. <laughs> Touché. Touché. Not chasing the, the loyalty points. And this is, this really comes down to, again, my problem. I go by the nickname and my problem because I want the loyalty points. But at the end of the day, there are three big takeaways that I had from this story that I wanted to share with our listeners so it doesn't feel just like a rant session and hopefully encourage everybody to look inward at your own business operations and see how you would respond to this situation. So number one, make it easy to do business with you. Okay, make it easy to recognize that some customers have nicknames, to have hours of operations that acknowledge all the regions you operate in, to empower your frontline staff to look out and take care of you and take care of your customers. Number two, be loyal to those that are loyal to you. Over the last decade, I've spent hundreds of nights at this hotel brand. It's actually my second choice if I can't stay at a Marriott. They can see that on my record. They can see all the stays I've had historically. And after 18 months of not staying at their hotel, I would have hoped that someone somewhere in the organization would be excited to have me back spending money in their hotel again, especially when the first time back was three nights. That's a decent stay because it's not just the room reservation. It's parking. It's the hotel restaurant. It's the vending machines. It's the future stays I would have had before this experience, which now <laughs> are not going to be happening. And number three, be generous with your points. Once someone has spent money with you and you know they've actually accrued points in your loyalty program that you created, please, 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 please make it easy to give them that which you would have given them if their name would have been properly entered on the reservation. Now, imagine the story. If I would have told the agent this scenario and the agent would have said, you know what? You would have earned 4,900 points for this stay. Let's just round that up to 5,000 points, shall we? And I'll credit your account right now. Would that work for you, Mr. Coleman? Not only would that have worked for me, but with that response, I would have told that story on this episode of Experience This, happily sharing the name of the hotel chain in this episode. And in the future, my second choice hotel would have received more of my first choice bookings. But alas, now I've decided that last checkout was my final checkout from that brand for the foreseeable future. There are so many great customer experience articles to read, but who has the time? We summarize them and offer clear takeaways you can implement starting tomorrow. Enjoy this segment of CX Press, where we read the articles so you don't need to. We've talked about customer experience at casinos in past episodes. And we've talked about experiences with alcohol brands before. But today we have a first. 
we're going to talk about the brand experience of cigarettes. Today's CX Press comes from an article in the Wall Street Journal by Jennifer Maloney and Omar Abdel Baki. The article is titled, Sale of Marlboro Ranch Snuffs Out Smokers' Vacation Dreams and details the sale of the 18,000-acre Marlboro Ranch in Montana that was previously owned by cigarette maker Philip Morris. According to the article, quote, The Getaway, formerly known as Crazy Mountain Ranch, was a real-life incarnation of the cigarette maker's Marlboro Man marketing campaigns, which featured gruff cowboys riding horses and snowy western peaks. It was Disneyland for smokers. Guests stayed in a faux ghost town with a mining office, bank, sheriff's office, and saloon. When they arrived, their beds were piled with gifts. Stetson hats, cowboy boots, jackets, bandanas, digital cameras, sunglasses, ashtrays, and in earlier years, packs of cigarettes. Visitors also received stainless steel portable litter devices, or PLDs, and leather cases with belt loops to carry their used cigarette butts rather than flick them into the sagebrush and risk a fire. Ooh, I, I love the dedication to the planet. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> he says only with a tiny bit of sarcasm. So for years, Marlboro smokers would collect points from the back of their cigarette packs. They could accumulate these points and trade them in for Marlboro-branded swag, including watches, a dartboard, a portable picnic table, and even a chance to visit the infamous Marlboro Ranch. While I personally have never sampled this brand's products, their Leo Burnett-created advertising campaigns are legendary from Madison Avenue to Main Street and around the globe. From 1954 to 19. 99. The Marlboro Man was the face of Marlboro cigarettes, growing their market share from less than 1% in the first year of the campaign to the fourth best-selling brand in just the first year. The brand had sales of $5 billion back in 1955, and they were selling $20 billion in cigarettes annually, a 300% increase just two years after introducing the Marlboro Man to potential consumers. Now, this led to several generations of smokers wanting to embody the spirit and personality of the rugged, independent, manly Marlboro man. The idea of sending Marlboro smokers on a cowboy-themed getaway found its origins in the 1990s when discount cigarettes were eroding Marlboro's market share and company executives were looking for creative ways to retain and foster customer loyalty they created a sweepstakes for adults 21 and older to win a trip to the Marlboro Ranch. Smokers could collect points from the back of cigarette packs in exchange for entries, and sometimes surprise invitations went to adults who had registered on the Marlboro website. The cigarette maker provided guests with plane tickets, spending money, and even luggage for the trip. While prohibited from giving free cigarette samples, prize winners did receive coupons to buy up to five packs of cigarettes at the local airport near the ranch for a dollar each. According to the article, executives noted that the lack of hosting people at the ranch during the pandemic was a major factor in deciding to sell the ranch. 
They also noted that they plan to reallocate the money previously spent on the ranch to other activities and initiatives designed to convert adult cigarette smokers to alternative tobacco products. Dan, what do you think about this story? Well, I'm kind of glad you brought this to our attention here because I haven't really thought much about the cigarette industry or studied it much. And I I will say, if you put aside any thoughts I have about cigarette smoking generally, and you just take the, the brand off of this, just call it, you know, Sally's Shoes... What I found interesting was I actually think it was some pretty interesting experiences that they were offering. And the concept of having this place, this magical mystery place that you know their biggest fans could go to is actually kind of cool. Now, when you add in my thoughts about cigarette smoking, I have slightly different opinions about it. But I think it's... I, I still think that as a brand... It was a good way to create loyalty. And I think it's very interesting that at this point in time, they're moving in a different direction. And I don't know, the things that you mentioned sounded a little kind of PR-y to me. So I don't know if that's really what they're doing, but it might be interesting to see what they do next. I do think it's going to be interesting to see what they do next. And I also agree with you, Dan, that regardless of what you think about the brand, step out of a conversation about cigarettes for a moment and think a little bit about how do you acknowledge your most loyal repeat customers, especially when you sell a consumable. You know, cigarettes, someone's going to go through a pack, whether that's in a day or a couple days or in a week. And then ideally you want them to buy another pack. But the same could be said for laundry detergent or crackers or a favorite brand of bread, anything that's being used up and consumed, your goal is to get them to stay with you, stay loyal to you and keep doing business with you. And so many brands are trying to figure out how to do that in terms of promotions and we'll give you a discount and you get access to special flavors if you're in the club. I've never heard of anyone that would really go to the level of we're going to let you live out for lack of a better way of putting it, the brand fantasy at, quote unquote, to quote the article, Disneyland for smokers, right? I thought that was a beautiful turn of phrase. And that's really what it is. Like if you are part of this tribe of people that enjoy smoking, going to a ranch in Montana where you can hang out with cowboys and smoke, I mean, you're literally living the advertisement that you've been watching for all these years. Yeah, I mean, the closest example I can come up with, we talked about back in episode 117 in season six, which was the Maker's Mark Ambassador Program. And I went down to Louisville, Kentucky and went to the distillery where they pulled two bottles from my barrel that they had put my name on eight years previous. And I got to dip the bottle in their signature red wax and put the label on and all that sort of stuff. And and it really was quite an immersive experience. And, you know, I wouldn't say it was living out of fantasy, but again, it's sort of the closest thing I can come up with. But it is, it is fascinating. And, you know, it, I, I we'll have to see. The Marlboro Man also sort of feels like, I mean, you, you mentioned all the way up until recently, it was the the brand mascot, if you will. It, it seems, it feels like an old image. And so, you know, I wonder if maybe as part of a bigger brand overhaul, they'll figure out what the next, you know, big 
customer experience opportunity is. I agree, Dan. It's going to be very interesting to watch and see. So what can we learn from this story? Before I share some key takeaways that I think are worth thinking about, I want to encourage our listeners not to get lost in your feelings about cigarettes, whether pro or con. I know that many people have strong opinions about the product, but to me at least, this story is much bigger than the sale of a ranch in Montana. It's about how do we go about recognizing our most loyal customers? Well, first, if your brand is a lifestyle brand, your customers want the chance to live that life. I think about Jimmy Buffett fans or parrot heads as they're known, going to Margaritaville or high performance driving that can be done at the BMW track to really have the ultimate driving experience for people who own BMWs. Number two, your most loyal customers want to go all in. They want to collect points and wear branded swag and earn special things and access unique experiences. If you're trying to create raving fans, make sure you give them the markers and the artifacts and the talismans of their fandom. And number three, your brand experience needs to evolve with the times. And that may mean saying goodbye to something that was working and maybe even working well for decades but wasn't going to be part of your future experience. Sometimes the old customer experience needs to go up in smoke to make way for the new one. Sometimes a remarkable experience deserves deeper investigation. We dive into the nitty gritty of customer interactions and dissect how and why they happen. Join us while we're dissecting the experience. As we approach the holiday season, I expect that many of our listeners will be receiving packages courtesy of the folks at Amazon. Oh, it has already started, my friend. We're already getting those boxes piled up early this year to avoid any of, you know, those projected supply chain disruptions. You know, that's a smart move, Dan. And because you're already receiving packages, you may have noticed a message on your boxes from Amazon, like the one that I saw last week. The message was written on the side of the box, and it said, quote, this box is now made with less material. Scan to see why less material matters. Amazon.com slash this box. And then it had a QR code. And when I viewed the QR code through the camera on my phone, it opened a page at Amazon that, to be honest, I hadn't seen before, despite having ordered dozens and dozens of packages from Amazon over the course of the last year. The landing page had a message at the top that read as follows, and I quote, improving our packaging. Amazon customers want right-sized, recyclable packaging that minimizes waste and ensures damage-free delivery. We work to reinvent and simplify our sustainable packaging options using a science-based approach that combines lab testing, machine learning, materials science, and manufacturing partnerships to scale sustainable change across the packaging supply chain. Wowza, that opening has a lot of juicy elements. You know, I thought so too, Dan, and I thought it'd be valuable if we broke them down a bit. So it starts out with... Amazon customers want right-sized, recyclable packaging that minimizes waste and ensures damage-free delivery. Let's take that first phrase, Amazon customers. That's people like you. You're automatically being put into a category of folks that it implies the brand knows who you are and knows what you want. 
Which is interesting because I wonder, I mean, they must have done some research on this, but I imagine that that is some Amazon customers, not all Amazon customers. So I, I wonder just how that language lands with people if, say, you aren't a person that wants right-size recyclable packaging. I think that's an interesting point, but I also think a person who wants that probably isn't going to scan the QR code and go to that landing page. Fair enough. So then they talk about right-sized, which makes a specific judgment on over-packaging. They then talk about recyclable, a key environmental requirement for most people that focus on these type of initiatives. Packaging that minimizes waste, an operational goal to avoid environmental issues before they even start. And damage-free delivery. I love how at the end of the sentence, they bring it back to being all about the customer because no customer wants to receive something that they've ordered from Amazon in a damaged state. We want it to be pristine, ready to use, ready to implement. So they kind of come full circle by starting with Amazon customers and then bringing it back to you, the customer, saying we want to ensure damage-free delivery. But that second sentence was cool too. And I got to read it again because, man, my head was spinning a little bit while you were reading it. It says, We work to reinvent and simplify our sustainable packaging options using a science-based approach that combines lab testing, machine learning, materials science, and manufacturing partnerships to scale sustainable chains across the packaging supply chain. I know, right? Science-based approach, lab testing, machine learning, material science, so many interesting things to explore. And the landing page does just that. It details the myriad ways in which Amazon is committed to this effort. They highlight the origins of their first initiative in this space, frustration-free packaging, which Amazon introduced way back in 2008. The frustration-free packaging program incentivizes manufacturers to package their products in easy-to-open packaging that is 100% recyclable and ready to ship to customers without an additional Amazon box. The site notes that as of June of this year, 2021, Amazon has reduced the weight of outbound packages by over 36%. In the last six years alone, they've eliminated more than 1 million tons of packaging material. That's the equivalent of 2 billion shipping boxes. You know, I love when companies talk about stuff like this because first of all, it's mind-blowing just the sheer size and quantity. But I really appreciate that Amazon is trying here. I mean, let's call a spade a spade. They are a contributor to some of the environmental problems because of how much volume they're doing. But they're acknowledging that and they are doing the best that they can or they're continuing to do better at reducing their footprint. And I, I, I know and you know, Joey, that especially younger consumers, millennials and Gen Zs, this is, they really care about this and this becomes an important factor in where they choose to do business. And I have a hunch somewhere in Amazon, somebody realized that that might become an Achilles heel for them. And so they realized we got to either beat this, we got to fix it, or we're going to lose ground to somebody else. And so the good news is they've got the power to make that kind of a difference because of their size. They really do. And not only do, not only do they have the power to make that kind of difference because of their size, they have the power to go to other brands and other folks who sell their products 
and for lack of a better way of putting it, force them to get better about their environmental impact because of the huge volumes that Amazon is doing. Yeah, so this page details how Amazon teamed up with Procter & Gamble to invent the Tide EcoBox, a concentrated version of Tide's traditional laundry detergent compressed into a fully recyclable shipping-safe package. This new box uses 60% less plastic and 30% less water than a conventional plastic jug and requires no additional packaging materials to ship. I love it. But you know, Dan, I have to confess, the thing that really got my attention was how Amazon is using machine learning in this initiative. Allow me to quote from their landing page on sustainable packaging. Optimizing through machine learning. How big of a box is needed for a given product? Is an Amazon box needed at all? To optimize packaging selections at Amazon scale, we use machine learning algorithms to arrive at the best possible packaging choices for deliveries. That means identifying which products don't need additional packaging and which smaller products are suitable for flexible packaging, such as padded mailers and bags, which are up to 75% lighter than similar sized boxes. Flexible packaging conforms around products, reducing the need for additional packing materials and takes up 40% less space than a box during shipping. In cases where the protection of a box is needed, machine learning helps us continuously optimize box choices to fit our ever-changing catalog of products and redesign boxes to use less material. When packaging weighs less and is the right size to protect customer orders, we can pack more orders into each delivery, resulting in fewer trips and less fuel burned. We also use machine learning to identify products where even small packaging improvements can have significant impacts on reducing waste. For example, we developed a machine learning model to identify liquid products with the highest average rates of customer-reported damages. We subject those products to extensive testing at our Amazon packaging lab, where we simulate a package's journey from the manufacturer to the customer, providing data and insights we can share with manufacturers to improve their packaging design. You know, Joe, I'm going to tell you something else about me that you don't know, which is that in my first job out of college when I worked for the Danbury Mint... I actually was in charge of the packaging for my own products. And one of the things that we had to do way before anybody ever heard of machine learning was we had to do what was called... (laughs) Dan was the machine that was trying to learn? Pretty much because we had to do what was called a drop test. And so I would package one of my products up just as it would be shipped by UPS or FedEx. So it was in our box and peanuts into a bigger box... And then we had to drop it on the ground of our warehouse, I think, four times. We had to kick it against the wall. We had to do all these simulations of what might happen during the package journey. And then we'd open up the package. And if the item was damaged, we had to start again. And we had to find better packaging to protect it. And I thought, you know, that's such a... It's such an old school, low tech way of testing stuff out like this. And now I'm just absolutely amazed at the technology that is there that can help Amazon and other companies, you know, it's really make decisions based on inches in terms of size of boxes. You you imagine Amazon cuts one inch off the size of every one of their boxes and how many millions of inches of packaging that is. It's really incredible. It really is. And I love that something that has been a part of 
you know, kind of the shipping consideration since things were being shipped is increasingly something where we can bring technology and sustainability and an environmental consciousness to bear. Now, I realize we've been talking a lot about the environmental impact component of customer experience in the last few years, and it seems like it's becoming an even bigger part of our, um, of our conversations with each passing season here on Experience This. Now, while that is definitely important, I wanted to highlight this message on the side of the box as a great way to take a customer behind the scenes into the things that Amazon is doing to improve the overall experience. It didn't feel heavy-handed or preachy or overly promotional. In fact, I found it to be pretty inspiring and encouraging, and it made me want to do a better job in 2022 of letting my audiences know the things that I'm doing behind the scenes to keep evolving their experience and help the planet in the process. So as you start to think about your key initiatives for 2022, I hope you'll join Dan and me in exploring ways to reduce your environmental impact while enhancing your customer experience at the same time. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Experience This. You're the best listener ever. And since you listened to the whole show, yay you. We're curious, was there a specific part of this episode that you enjoyed the most? If so, it would mean the world to us if you could share it with a coworker, a friend, or someone that just loves listening to podcasts. And while you're in the sharing mood, if you felt inclined to jump over to iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts and write us a review, we would so appreciate it. And when you do, don't forget to let us know as we might have a little surprise for you. Thanks again for your time and we'll see you next week for more Experience This. Yes.